0: I will introduce uh, Professor Charlotte Roberts, although for a lot of bioarchaeologists here it's a in neat introduction. Um, she's the president of BABAO, that is the British Association of Biological Anthropology and Osteoarchaeology. So, a very good association. So, uh, all of you are members. Uh, those students that are not, I would encourage you to, to become a member. Um, and a fellow of the British Academy. She is one of the most renowned paleopathologist or bioarchaeologist today worldwide, so looking at the study of ancient disease in a simplified way, um, human remains. She has a background in nursing, archaeology, environmental archaeology, and human bioarchaeology. And has specialized in the study of archaeological human remains for over 30 years. Although you look like 30 years old, so how can that be possible? Okay. Um, in particular, she has understood the origin, evolution, and history of infectious disease. <laughs> Within her interpretation of patterns of health and disease, in the past, she utilizes multiple lines of evidence, including medical anthropology and evolutionary of biological anthropology. She's currently a professor of archaeology at Durham University since 2004. But I'm sure she's inspired generations of students, like she inspired me when I did a master's uh, with, with her in 98 to 99. Um, She's author of numerous papers and author and editor of numerous books, including Human Remains and Archaeology, a Handbook, The Bioarchaeology of Tuberculosis, A Global View of Our Emerging Disease, Archaeology of Disease, and Health and Disease in Britain, from History to the Present Day. So thank you for coming and welcome. Can everybody
1: hear me? Yes? Um, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction and, and thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm honoured, I hope I can do justice to bioarchaeology. Um, so that's the first thing, but secondly, I've been working in bioarchaeology for a long time, as, as Nick has said, uh, and I've seen how bioarchaeology, the landscape of bioarchaeology has changed massively in the UK, and particularly the number of bioarchaeologists working in this field, in academia and commercial archaeology. Um, and some in museums, too, and, and, and I should add that they're mainly women, which is great, um, and that goes to students at uh, Masters and PhD levels. <coughs> when I entered this field, I think that bioarchaeology was considered a really fringe area of archaeology, 1983, and few people were working in it, maybe a dozen or so, some in their spare time, they were doctors and dentists, I don't think they have spare time now, There were virtually no academic posts in bioarchaeology, and I think many people actually excavating skeletons felt that it took too long and that skeletons didn't really tell us much compared to grave goods. Anyway, I hope tonight to provide some food for thought and discussion on bioarchaeology, its development, what's in vogue right now, what's trending, as they say, what the future might hold, and some concerns, which you could class as bees in my bonnet. And I'd like, you know, some interaction on these, if possible. I should also say that I think Oxford is very well placed to revive biological anthropology and has the people, facilities and money, I would think. It's great to see this initiative, as certainly for bioarchaeology, I would, dare I say it, suggest that it has not been a particularly visible leader in the world, though I think that's changing fast. However, I think one of the issues has been that there are indeed many biological anthropologists at Oxford, of uh, varying kinds, um, but they're all working in different departments, units and laboratories. So I think this initiative is really fantastic. There'll be more jobs <coughs> of thinking at Oxford in biological anthropology in the future. Um, the importance of bioarchaeology, I think... What's said on this slide on the left uh, goes without saying. If we didn't have people in the past, we wouldn't have any of our fantastic archaeological sites like Stonehenge, etc. So the people on site, uh, on, on an archaeological site, are really important to study. But it's had a very slow beginning in the UK, but it's developed rapidly over the last 30 or so years. Now I would say it started developing rapidly from the late 80s and early 90s when those one-year taught master's courses started to de- develop in departments of archaeology in, particularly, in particular. And now those courses have burgeoned. I mean, we have so many graduates in bioarchaeology with no jobs. Um, <laughs> there's certainly a cash cow for universities and maybe you might think looking <coughs> an MSC course in bioarchaeology get lots of international students, so lots of money. Another area of development, I think, from 1990, is, is PPG 16, Policy Planning Guidance Document. Um, and this has led to more commercial archaeology activity, with more cemeteries being excavated, needing more trained people to excavate and analyse skeletons. And I think that's actually led to more people being aware of bioarchaeology in academia and, and commercial archaeology. And thus there are more jobs now, but not enough to, to furnish the, uh, the needs of all the graduates from these master's courses. And the other thing that's helped bioarchaeology develop is the, the establishment of Babeo, which Nick's just talked about, where we have several 100 members from all areas of biological anthropology, but mostly bioarchaeology. That was set up in 1998. So what does bioarchaeology involve? It involves collecting data on things like biological (coughs) sex, age at death, ancestry, (coughs) health challenges people experience during their lives. And we use various methodologies to do that. Um, But I would say, of course, the rapid development of applying biomolecular analyses to human remains is probably at the forefront of people's minds. And certainly for ancient DNA analysis, this has been a very recent advance, as you can see on the slide, for understanding the nuances of of our ancestors' life lived experiences. Um, So bioarchaeology is contextually driven, it's question driven. We want to answer questions about the past using data from human remains. It's very interdisciplinary uh, and it's very much teamwork now. It wasn't when I came into it, but it is now. Um, So, and certainly I think for universities like Oxford, like Durham, like other places, um, we can actually fulfil what bioarchaeology is all about in terms of facilities, and expertise, and it's really good to see more universities working with commercial archaeologists, and Oxford Archaeology in Oxford is a a case in point, and also working with museums. I call museums and commercial archaeology the real world. You know, I'm not in the real world in any university. Commercial archaeologists are excavating all the (coughs) time and producing new populations of interest to us all, and museums curate many of those Um, cemetery populations, alongside older older skeletons that have seen very little attention, actually, uh, in some parts of of the UK. I think bioarchaeology is well placed to address the grand challenges recently published in those two papers, and I think it has a great future. So what of the future? I think bioarchaeology provides that long-view evolutionary approach to understanding who we are today and where we might go in the future. It will continue to attract masters and PhD students, money, and commercial archaeology will need those trained people as the UK as a country develops. HS2 springs to mind. There will be more focus, I think, on looking at larger populations in terms of bioarchaeology with big questions being raised. And we have the wherewithal to answer those big questions using the methodologies at our disposal. But I do think that bioarchaeology could do well to think a bit more outside the box in research and not necessarily follow what has gone before. We've seen many developments in biomolecular archaeology and parallel funding to go with it and those will continue but we must not forget that biomolecular archaeology should be much more than, and this is controversial, gathering human bones and teeth for analysis in the next Nature paper. I feel very strongly about that. You might want to argue with me. Therefore, there are some concerns that we should bear in mind and areas that we must develop more. And I think for me this is really important. I think in bioarchaeology we should be making a difference to the to live the living and helping the living plan for their future. And if we could do more of that, taking an evolutionary approach, I think we, we would perhaps um, dare I say it, attract more research funding. There are concerns though. And here are some of my concerns. They're questions to you, which you may want to come back to. Um, But, um, you know, there are too many people trained in bioarchaeology. And you might say, well, that's a great thing because it's becoming more recognised in archaeology (coughs) as a subject area. uh, And the public (coughs) are taking notes. But, you know, what do these people do who graduate with these master's degrees? Um, But there are two points from this slide I'd quite like to pick up on, um, to finish with, and that's ethical issues associated with human remains and also um, outreach impact or whatever you want to call it, Uh, and of course people working in academia are very well aware that impact is quite important these days. So we all know in bioarchaeology that we need human remains to study, and of course, commercial archaeology is excavating those remains. And then many of them are actually curated in museums for teaching and research. But I do think we should pay more attention to looking after that resource, uh, because it's not a renewable resource. Um, But then I, I sort of think, well, who decides what remains are curated for future teaching and research. Um, And, you know, is it it right to allow a lot of all this destructive analysis um, applied to archaeological human remains now, or not? Museum curators don't necessarily understand what we're trying to do when we're doing destructive analysis, but perhaps they need to be better informed about what is useful for the future of our discipline. Uh, They are special, human remains are special. They're different to pottery, they're different to plant remains, they're different to animal bones. So they really need to be looked after. I do wonder about biobanks used in clinical medicine now um, for storing samples um, for future research. So if remains have to be reburied, and some are being reburied, even in the UK, perhaps then we will have samples of bones and teeth for future work. But, you know, is that ethical to set up biobanks? Um, there are many guidelines for the treatment of human remains in museum and university collections, um, which is all very good. Those weren't available when I was starting out in bioarchaeology <coughs> in 1983. So that's a good development too. And finally, impact. Well, yes, yes, we might all groan about it. But I think it's really important. We need to get out of our ivory towers more. And the Brexit results in relation to academia spring to mind here. Academics are reflecting on those Brexit <coughs> results. Bioarchaeologists are working with museums and with commercial archaeologists, but we need to do more. For me, impact you'll be amazed to, to hear, is the most fulfilling part of my job now. Maybe it's because I'm old and getting towards retirement. <laughs> but maybe if we do more of this, we might see the archaeology A-level rise from its ashes, um, and maybe anthropology's A-level rise from its ashes. So, to finish, I think bioarchaeology is alive, well and kicking in the world, more so in some regions than others the US and the UK in particular. It's got huge potential for understanding who we are today and for research funding, to go with it. The wider community is very supportive of what bioarchaeologists do, so there are many opportunities for outreach and people want to study bioarchaeology at university. But I think we must be conscious that the remains that we study and research on need to be looked after for future generations of scholars. So thank you very much for listening. I know some of that's been controversial, but it needed to be said.